Welcome, and thanks for checking out the Living Word Family Church Sermon Podcast. Before we get to the message, we'd like to invite you to check out Living Word Family Church if you don't already have a church home. For more information, you can check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. Philippians today. Woohoo! We have, uh, for the last several weeks, been taking a close look at Paul's letter to the Philippian church. Isn't this, isn't this a wonderful book? I know Philippians is a favorite of a lot of people. Uh, and of course, as we mentioned at the beginning, there's a lot of, uh, there are several very well-known verses in Philippians. And it's always nice to see these verses that you've known all your life in context to see that you've uh, been doing it wrong your whole life. No, I'm kidding. It just kind of gives uh, what I find is... And so many times when I'm reading Old and New Testament, come across a verse that I've been speaking, and it's just really encouraging to see it. When, when you see it in its context, it actually becomes richer when you see a specific application. Anyway, just a quick, uh, just to bring us up to speed very quickly, after opening greetings, Paul assures them that he's, in fi- that he's fine even though he's in prison because he knows the gospel is still being preached, and he has even had the opportunity to witness to some of those who are in charge of his imprisonment. He has no complaints. And so as a friend of the, he's very, very close to this particular congregation, has a warm personal relationship with them. That's not true of every, of every church he wrote to. Some of the churches he wrote to, uh, he had not even been to. And some he would not get to. Uh, but he did. He did know the Philippian Christians, and he wanted to assure them that he was fine. He talks about his possible release from prison. He doesn't know. Doesn't know if he's going to stay in prison. Doesn't know if he's going to be executed. Doesn't know if he's going to be released. But he says he believes he'll be released. And in fact, he was released. Uh, But he also says he's ready to go to his true home if that's the way it works out. Uh, He's ready anytime. He says, if I stay, it's good for you. If I go, it's good for me. Uh, If I live on, I live for Christ. And if I die, it is to be with Christ. Then he goes on to urge them to walk in humility and obedience and to take as an example Jesus Christ himself who humbled himself by becoming a man and walked in perfect obedience to the Father even to the point of death on the cross. Then he tells them to work out their salvation. We spent a while talking about what that means, how it's not working for your salvation but allowing God's saving power to work out through you. Uh, there's a few verses there where he's commending Timothy and Epaphroditus. And then he warns them of false teachers, particularly, again, the Judaizers. He recites his pedigree as a Jew uh, to kind of combat uh, the Jewish Christians who are coming in there trying to force them back under the law. But says, after he recounts uh, his, uh, his bona fides, he says, I count that as rubbish. It, it counts for nothing compared to actually knowing Christ. And then he writes about his single-minded pursuit of God, forgetting those things in the past, and urges the people he's writing to to do the same. Uh, He reminds them of what's important. Our citizenship is in heaven. We spent most of last week looking at the passage that talks about the danger of having our mind set on earthly things, being ruled by our earthly desires, our appetites, I expanded on that, by the way, on Wednesday night and uh, waded a little bit deeper. And I encourage you, if you dare, I challenge you to listen to that message. But again, all goes back to our citizenship in heaven. But I tied that passage to 
what is probably the most famous verse in Philippians, chapter 4, verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And how that isn't about I can do anything I want to do because of Jesus, but it does mean I can do everything he has called me to do because of Jesus Christ who strengthens me. We have no excuse to disobey. We can uh, complete our race. We can fulfill our destiny because God himself has provided and will continue to provide everything we need to do that. Uh, But in order to make that tie-in, I had to skip over some stuff that I want to go back and look at today before we close this out. So after writing briefly, we did talk about this, about this disagreement between Euodia and Syntyche. Uh, and needing to reconcile this difference so that they could get back to doing the work of God. Uh, He says this, and we're in chapter 4, beginning in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Once again, these verses make the most sense in context. It is not a list. He doesn't say, okay, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And uh, in everything, uh, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Let's see, what's the next thing on my list? Oh yes, the peace of God that passes understanding will guard your hearts and minds. And so... This is something, this verse, for instance, about the, the, uh, I want to see this list more like a formula. And you know I dislike formulas. So let's say it's a a prescription. You could could look, you could look at the uh, information that you get, uh, say your doctor prescribes an antibiotic. uh, And he's concerned that uh, you have a cut, you have a wound, and to, to protect against MRSA, if he sees a little bit of infection, he prescribes a particular antibiotic. And so you read it, it says, ah, I'm safe because I have this, and it will kill MRSA. But it won't unless you take it. Unless you take it when you're supposed to, unless you take all of it. You can't just say, I've got it, so I'm fine. A hammer will not drive a nail unless you swing it and strike the nail. All right, so we've got these things. We do have a promise here that says... The peace of God that passes understanding will guard your hearts and minds. And on one hand, yeah, it's a promise to be claimed. I claim the peace of God. I speak peace over my life. Lord, you've promised the peace of God that passes on. Peace that passes understanding down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. So we claim this thing. But what Paul is saying is, don't be angry. Rejoice in the Lord, always. Again, I say rejoice. Always remember there's something to rejoice about and let that come out of your mouth. And don't be anxious for anything. Anything that comes into your life that threatens to make you worried, anxious, heartsick, angry, whatever, don't let it go there. As soon as those things creep up, what are you supposed to do with them? Take them to the Lord. Offer them to God as a prayer. I am worrying about this and worry doesn't help me. I need to pray about this. Instead of stewing about it, I will pray about this. I'm going to turn this worry, this anxiousness, into a supplication. And I'm going to offer that request to God with thanksgiving. What does that mean? 
means two things at least. One is, you better, I like how he starts with rejoice. Don't be anxious. All things, prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God with thanksgiving. Uh, is sort of bracketed by rejoicing in thanksgiving. And that reminds me that before I, or at least while I am praying, I also need to take a moment and genuinely thank him for everything that's not going wrong. Before I say, God, I really need help because I got a bill that I didn't see coming and I can't see a way to meet it. I need your intervention in my life because there's a sickness in my body that I can't shake. Let's start with this. God, thank you for breath and life today. Thank you for the sun that's shining. If you can wake up on a day like today and not thank him for the beauty of the day, something wrong, I think, with you. I mean, maybe this is just not, maybe you're into cold, rainy, gray days and we've had a few of those. Uh, but, but no, I mean, just seriously, thank you, Lord, for one more day to walk out your will and impact the world. Thank you for food, clothing, and shelter. Thank you for my family. Thank you for my church. There is always something, usually a ton of things, to be thankful to God. And we need to cultivate the habit of gratitude. There is nothing wrong. There's never anything wrong. You can't say, well, if you were really grateful, you wouldn't ask God for anything. That's not true. He's commanded us to ask for these things. But we have to be grateful at the same time. All right? And then, with everything by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. If you are grateful, if you are rejoicing, if you are bringing those requests to God, then the result is what? The peace of God that passes understanding will guard your hearts and minds. That's the formula. That's the prescription. It's not just the promise of peace. He tells you how to get there by genuinely casting these things, casting your cares on Jesus because he cares for you, right? Now, uh, if you want to see a great example of this, by the way, just turn back a couple of pages in in Philippians uh, chapter 1. Beginning in verse 3, he writes this, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making request for you, for you all, with joy. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. So he's saying, he is praying for them, and he's praying things that are important. But he's also joyful because he's confident. He's praying about things that are urgent, that are, that are, that are you know, life-changing for the Philippians. You know, God's still doing work. There's still the threat of persecution in their lives. They're having to worry about him in prison. And so he's praying for them, but he's praying with joy because he trusts God and knows that God is the one responsible to fulfill his word. Now, let's move on. Uh, back to chapter 4, beginning in verse 8. Finally, Brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue or if there is any, anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Back to the peace issue again, but look at that. That's another That's something that uh, many of you probably memorized as a child if you went to Sunday school. And there is, let me start with this, because there is certainly an application here. When we talk about what we are are, uh, thinking about, 
There's an application, whether we like it or not, to what we do recreationally, specifically with our entertainment choices. Garbage in, garbage out. If you are faithful to do your devotion every day and you spend 10 minutes in prayer in the Word of God, maybe total 20 minutes, you're doing more, probably, I hate to say, than 90% of Christians are every day. All right? And, and that's just, I pulled that statistic out of, out of uh, thin air, all right? But typically people don't have a, a disciplined devotional life. So if you are setting that time aside, you are doing it in a more disciplined fashion than the, vast, than the majority of, I would say, evangelicals even. But if your devotional time is 20 minutes, but you spend a couple hours watching YouTube videos, a couple hours watching TV, I'm not saying that everything on YouTube videos and TV is poison. I'm not saying throw your TVs away. I'm not saying you can't read, for re- read recreationally. But be careful about what you are consuming through these media. Because there's some stuff that's dangerous. Some stuff is just wood, hay, and stubble. Again, garbage in, garbage out. You think, well, I'm just watching it. I'm not meditating on it. What kind of music are you listening to, right? I can remember, uh, many of you have heard me share this before, and I'll try to keep it brief, but I remember hearing a very scary sermon. It was scary and it was exciting. I mean, man, we bought the tapes and we shared them with everybody in high school. Uh, It was a two-part message by a minister that I won't name. Uh, And if I don't name him, you know that if if I was still excited about these messages, I would name him, but I'm not. So you kind of see where this is going. Anyway, it was a two-part uh, message on the dangers of rock music. And the, the center of this warning was the principle of uh, subliminal messages and backward masking. And this guy brought out all this evidence that if you played certain songs backwards, you would hear satanic messages. The most famous one being a line in Stairway to Heaven. It says, uh, what's, what's, the, what's the forward? How's it go? What, do you remember which part it was forward? Uh, anyway, but if you play backwards, it says, I will sing because I live with Satan. <laughs> and you hear this and it just chills. And there's something creepy about it. There's something weird. But this guy's contention was your mind has, is sharp enough to grab these things, it stores them in your subconscious, and therefore you've got these ideas that you don't even know about how you're singing because you live with Satan, and here's to my sweet Satan, and someone sang this song for Satan. That's the Mr. Ed theme song backward, by the way. Someone sang a song for Satan. Who decided to look for that in the Mr. Ed theme song? I don't know. But we got so wrapped up in all these hidden meanings and messages that it kind of, number one, they came out you know, I actually took a psych class later and I did some reading from people other than this guy who said there's no evidence that backward masking uh, has, that, that your brain does anything with that. The whole idea of the subliminal is, is, is iffy at best, let alone the backward subliminal. Not a real threat. The whole thing is, though, what were these songs saying forward? Listen, man, even a, it might be just a sweet, gentle song. It doesn't have to be loud and angry, but you look at the message, it's like, holy cow, this is anti-God. 
and this is what you're feeding on. Well, I know, I just like the music. Yeah, but you're singing it. You've got it memorized, even though you didn't say, I can't memorize scripture. You've memorized hundreds of songs without ever trying. Why? Because you listen to them again and again and again and again. You're thinking on these things. So we've got to be careful about that. Having said that, I think the core of this passage is this. The, the, the more specific issue when it comes to meditating, stewing, and thinking, when we look at what's noble, what is good, what of good what's good report, I think we can really slip into the wrong mindset if we get to, for instance, political. If we make it our mission as believers to wade into every political argument and to perceive the other side of the argument as uh, people. So let me phrase this. The other side of the argument might well be demonic, but don't demonize the people on the other side of the argument. We talk of when we dwell on nothing but war, the possibility of war, global conflicts, global warming, national debt, race relations, disease, poverty, drugs, don't get me wrong. If we are going to be like Jesus, we, if we are going to be imitators of God, we cannot ignore what the New Testament and the Old Testament say about social justice. We, we hear the phrase social justice now, and if you're like me, maybe the first thing that pops in your mind is SJW, social justice warrior, and you see these guys, these, these crusaders on Facebook just taking everybody to task. And it's like they've got the ministry of shocking people. You know, I'm a believer in Jesus, and therefore I'm going to shock you with the F word because I'm so mad about this travesty of social justice or social injustice. We can be concerned about these things. We should be concerned about these things, deeply concerned. But our concern has to be expressed. If we are going to be biblical, it has to be expressed through the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. When we do these things, when our heart is to be kind, it's just like exactly what Matt uh, Gordon was talking about. I just wanted to see a need. I just saw a need and wanted to meet it. I wanted to do an act of kindness. What's the result? An open door of ministry that has been closed for five years. This is how this is supposed to work. We do these things out of kindness, imitating Jesus. If we focus on everything that is wrong, we'll become bitter, we'll become angry, we'll see protest as more powerful and important than prayer. We will lack love. Ultimately, bringing, shining the light on nothing but all on the ills of society is fear-based, and it's anger-based. It's not love-based, and it's certainly not faith-based. Because guess what? In the middle of all this bad news out there, there are things that are of good report. We can think about those things. We can meditate on those things. We don't have to respond to every injustice with anger. We can respond in love. It's all about being a good neighbor. Remember when Jesus talked about that? Who's my neighbor? And then Jesus tells the story of what? The Good Samaritan. And we kind of know this because we've been taught, but I heard somebody the other day say, if you really want to get the impact of Jesus' message on the Good Samaritan, imagine today telling the story about the Good Taliban. 
That's how they would have heard that message. We can respond in kindness, even in tough circumstances. Let's move on here. I really don't want to keep you all day. This is normally when I'm about wrapping up, and I've got about probably 40 minutes left, so stick with me. I'm sorry. I know that's, not, that's a stupid game to play. I really am almost done. Pick it up here in verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to, how to be abased. I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel... When I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. This is a rich passage. But, essentially, the passage we just read is Paul saying, thank you for the offering. Thank you for the offering. And it's a beautiful thank you. It's a beautiful expression of gratitude. But I love what he says, because he's not saying, oh, you have, you have no idea how close I was to having to shut my ministry down. Your offering came at just the right time. I need you to continue to be faithful like that. If I'm going to complete everything God has for me, you have got to be part of this. What's he saying? God's taking care of me. I am really pleased that you showed this concern. And I know you were concerned long before the gift got here. I know you just needed an opportunity. And Epaphroditus coming here provided you that opportunity. So I'm glad that you were able to, sh- to express that. But even if you hadn't sent it, God's going to take care of me. I'm not saying this so that you'll send another offering because I need it. I'm saying this so that you'll continue to send offerings because there will be fruit that will abound to you if you continue to obey God with regard to the gift. I love, I remember watching a, uh, a minister on TV. This was back in, uh, I think during the days when mom and dad were at Rama, And we were watching a, a, a well-known televangelist. I really hate that term. But he's a well-known uh, evangelistic minister. And he had a powerful, powerful uh, evangelistic anointing. I mean, he would, he would bring people. This wasn't Billy Graham, but it was somebody who really could, I mean, grip your mind, grip your heart. He, could, he had a gift. But right in the middle of this TV special, you know, this was a recorded uh, crusade of some kind. But, I mean, he's right in the middle of making this invitation. He's bringing it up to a point, And then right in the middle of it, they interrupt. And the host, the speaker, comes on TV and says, thank you for watching this broadcast. We're going to pick it up here in a minute. But first, I need to tell you about the needs of this ministry. And he begins to weep and shake and say, we have got to have your help. 
we will go off the air if we don't get some help from you. Please, 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 would you pray? And would you give big? Would you please help us to stay on the air? Would you help us continue to bring the gospel? And it was, oh, the twisting, and it was effective, okay? I'm sure there are people who responded, if I don't send him a check, there's people who aren't going to hear him speak, and that means they're not going to get saved. I guess I better. But it was fear-based. It wasn't the way to do it. Now you contrast that with a guy like Copeland who says, uh, God's been good to us. You know, Copeland will say this about himself. You dropped me in the middle of a desert with no shirt and no shoes and no food. I'll walk out of that desert well-fed with a shirt and shoes. God takes care of me. Talk to Keith Moore. He tells you what's going, you go to one of his services, he tells you, here's what we're doing this week. Here's how much of the, here's how many CDs we bought, this is how many places we went, this is how many square feet of uh, parking lot we built, how many square, how many chairs we put in the new building. And uh, thank you for being a part of this, and I encourage you to continue to be a part of it. Nothing about, oh, come on, come on, people, we're this close, we got to get this paid for. It's like, this is what God is doing. We are reaching thousands, hundreds of thousands of people every week through the ministry of our word supply. If you want to be a part of that blessing, now's your opportunity to give. This is what Paul's saying too. You absolutely should give. But it's not out of my need. It's because God desires to bless you and that is how he desires to bless you. Say the same thing about living word. Living Word's doing great things. We're supporting great ministries, and God has great plans for Living Word. You should be excited about that. When that offering plate comes by, it's not, oop, time to pay the bills. It's, or, it's a matter of, this is my opportunity to be a part of this, what God is doing at Living Word Family Church. Now, Again, we, we kind of looked at verse 17. Again, in verse 19, this, when he says, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory. This absolutely is one of those verses you should speak over yourself. You should claim it every day. God will supply all my need according to his riches and glory. My God shall supply all my need according to his riches and glory. But he is writing this verse to a people who had given They had given multiple times. They had given faithfully. They were committed to supporting him. If you are going to withhold your treasure from God, rather than sow it into the kingdom, because you're fearful, maybe it's like, man, I need to stock up a supply for my old age. I got to make sure everything is, is, all my affairs are straight before I get generous with God. If you are not going to support your church with tithes and offerings, you're on your own. There's no promise that God will supply your need. That sounds harsh. Reading this in context, I can't read it any other way. You have been faithful. I don't mean faithful just in terms of commitment, but you have supported me in faith. You have trusted God with your finances. And because you've allowed God to use you, because you have given your treasure to God, guess what? My God will supply all your need according to his riches and glory. If you're going to start from a position of this is mine and when I'm rich, maybe I'll give something to God, you have no scriptural ground to stand on to seek God to supply your need. Will he answer a prayer in mercy, uh, a desperate prayer? He just might. I'm saying you can't pray and speak in faith 
over your finances unless you are obeying him in your finances. All the givers say amen. All right. If you sow, God will supply seed. That's scripture. And then finally, he really and truly wraps it up here, beginning in verse 20. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Praise and worship team, you can be coming up here. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. Uh, Nice way to end the letter. Reminds them that even though he's in prison, he's not alone. He's in communion with other believers. And those believers include some who are in the orbit of Caesar. And the Caesar at that time, I believe, was Nero, who did not go down in history as particularly friendly to the early church and early believers, right? Uh, and, And we're not necessarily talking, Paul talks about the household of Caesar. He's not necessarily talking probably about blood relatives of Nero, although certainly some of them could have been. Uh, but he is, uh, he is talking about the palace guard, those who are, again, in that orbit, who are in that world. Uh, what's he saying? The ministry goes on. The ministry goes on. There's a uh, little saying we had, uh, something we, we had drilled into our skulls as junior officers. Uh, because there's so much emphasis that they lay on you as a platoon leader. You know, the generals and the colonels, they, they're looking at the big picture. They're planning the strategically, not just tactically. How can we win this battle? Where can we move these troops? What companies, what battalions, what divisions do we move around? What's our job as lieutenant? Uh, to carry out our little corner of these orders, but also take care of the men. Because the general's not going to take care of making sure your men get their mail, get their food. This is your Your job as a platoon leader at that level is to care about the men. And so then you answer, well, what about the mission? We get the mission, and something's going to interfere with my ability to care for the men. What's first? Is it the mission or the men? Now, this doesn't really answer the question, but I still like the philosophy of the answer. It it was always, here's what we learned. Mission first. Men always. Mission first. Men always. And this is kind of what I see as a theme that's running through this letter of Paul's. There is a mission to accomplish. Let's never forget what we are here for. Heavenly minded. Citizenship in heaven. Not ruled by my earthly appetites and desires. There is a mission that I am here to fulfill. When Paul talked early in this letter about going home, I'm in a straight betwixt two. Whether to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Right? And then once he decide, I know it's more useful to you if I stay. So you know what? I'm going to stay. I'm going to stay for your sake. Because to live is Christ, to die is gain. This is not about me. This is about Jesus. Mission first. If I stay, if I go on with life, it's so I can preach another day. This is how he's wrapping this up. And yet at the same time, what's he saying? I desire to see fruit abound to your account. Rejoice in the Lord, the peace of God. Is he saying, mission first, and I don't care about you guys? No, we're here to do a mission, and in the middle of that, God will take tender care of you. That waymaker song, and the, and the word that Matt shared after it, nail on the head. God is, uh, he doesn't miss it when a sparrow falls to the earth. 
Trust me, he knows everything that you are fighting, and he has made a way. It's up to us to speak those things, to do those things that God has called us to do. I'll wrap it up with one more story that I may have shared before. There's a musician named Steve Camp. I don't know if he's still making music. I know he does a lot of writing these days, but he, was, uh, he, he wrote some very... He didn't write a lot of fluff. He wrote some theologically rich songs and some challenging songs. And, and he was kind of mentored by Keith Green in the early days. And I can't remember, I'll have to look this up, uh, but he had a uh, kind of a, he had a bad night. And I can't remember if, it was some, if he was mugged, I really don't remember, or if he was booed off stage, or if he lost something or something was stolen. But it was right in the thick of when he was working hard. I mean, he was doing concerts and writing stuff and helping people. And, and suddenly he was feeling very defeated. So he called up his buddy, Keith Green, to get some encouragement. That, Keith, man, I, I, I'm doing this stuff for the Lord. And then this happened, this happened, and this happened. And Keith responded, what would you expect? What do you want me to do? Pat you on the back and say, there, there. It's all going to be better. What did Jesus promise you? He told you the more you did for him, the more you'd be persecuted. And it's just like, man, no mercy, no tenderness at all. <laughs> and I think there's a lot, I think we can strike a balance here, all right? Let's don't be whiners. Let's don't be babies that always have to be coddled and carried. But let's also remember what we read in Galatians. You know, there's, there's a time when we have to bear one another's burdens, Right? And that's sowing. When we, when we agree to do that, that's when I look back over this summer and how much of a load so many of you are carrying, uh, how much you have stepped in to make things happen while Matt's been gone, while Brenda's been gone. Uh, just it's been kind of a crazy summer. And we've come together and been the church while you share that load. Those are seeds you're sowing too. That's taking care of one another, Right? But let's don't, let's don't ever fall in, oh, when are things going to get better? I'll tell you when I can say for certain that everything is going to be better when Jesus comes back. Till then, there's going to be good times and bad times. But right through the worst of those times, God is with us, for us, and a source of peace and a reason to rejoice. Stand up with me. Thanks for listening. We hope that this message encouraged and equipped you in your walk with Christ. Make sure to follow us on Facebook or Instagram to stay updated with what's going on at Living Word Family Church. Have a great day.